This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. All right, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 this morning. I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who suffer, uh, shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory in the same way you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The grace of uh, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends your greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. All right, so let's look at this passage. Let's break it down and understand what Peter is saying to the local church about how to endure suffering, persecution, and hurt in this world today. Now, it's dealing with, it's already dealt with how to live faithfully outside of the church, right? Husbands, wives, Roman citizens, and slaves who have owners. Uh, how do you live faithfully outside of the church? Now Peter's turning inside the church. How do we live faithfully with a, uh, the right uh, uh, process and the right structure inside the church to live faithfully for what God wants you to do in your life? So he begins with this. He says, I exhort the elders among you. I think it's important that we break that down for a second because in this church we have what we call pastors. But this passage gives us this idea of what an elder is. Now, I don't have the time to break this down completely, uh, but you can look into this more. What, what happens, what's happening in this particular passage is it's showing us the role or the office, whatever you want to call it, the office, um, the title of the responsibilities, the, the, um, the thing, that, that spot which someone should fulfill in a particular local congregation uh, is called the elder in this passage. Now, there's multiple different words that it is then referred to as. And so this is important for us. Pastor is, a, is a, um, an action that an elder does. To pastor. It's really a, more like a verb. Uh, you, could, you could think about it like this. Elders pastor. Uh, you could also think of it like this. Elder shepherd. Or elders minister. Um, or even elders oversee. But the, the thing is, is that you are an elder who does these things. Now, in our congregation, you call the elder a pastor. That's fine. As long as when you're saying pastor, you're understanding it to be an elder. It's unbiblical for us to say we have pastors, not elders, because the Bible says we have elders 
not pastors, uh, it's elders who pastor, right? So in fact, if you were to take it as you only have pastors, there's actually no expectation set out in Scripture for pastors. There's only expectation set out in Scripture for elders and overseers. So for me, I consider myself to be a biblical elder to which my church calls me a pastor. Now I try to, every time I preach through a passage that has elders, I have to clarify what we're talking about, so it would be somewhat easier if we didn't do that, but I know the context to which we preach. The context to which we preach is there's been harmful things happen throughout the church when you refer to people as elders. They use their rule for poor uh, rulership or poor, poor leadership, right? What happens is they do exactly what this passage says not to do. So what does the passage say to do? It tells the elders to do three things. To shepherd God's flock, to oversee God's flock, and uh, ultimately to submit to the chief shepherd. Now the way that we do that is by not being uh, leading out of compulsion, by not leading out of greed, and by not lording it over people. So it's not compulsory, so it's not like, oh, I'm going to run into this thing and hopefully it will be profitable for me. It's not, I'm going to run into this thing and make money. And it's not, I'm going to run into this thing and dominate over people. If you see that in an elder, what you're seeing is not an elder, but something else. All right, so we'll call it a dictator, we'll call it a ruler, or something like this. One of the chief premises of a, of a good elder, of somebody who should be an elder, uh, for our church, somebody like Pastor Bill, myself, and, Ho- and Glenn, hopefully, that's how we're leading, is somebody who's not dominating, somebody who's not lording it over you, somebody who's not greedy, and somebody not, who's not doing these things without actually reflecting on how they impact their family and their life. So I have to constantly do this. To be, to be honest with you, like, I think we ought to all constantly do this. Look at your expectations in your life. Look at what your spouse wants from you, your family wants from you. Look at what your job wants from you. Look at all these different things. Well, I have to look at Scripture and ask, what does Scripture want from me? And honestly, it's often challenging. It's often challenging for me to look at this and go, man, this is really what it wants for me to do. I, in fact... I feel like I may actually be on the opposite of this spectrum of calling uh, as far as what you struggle with. Because sometimes I feel like, I know that God's called me to the local church to be be an uh, elder. I know that God's called me to this. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that I didn't sometimes struggle with that. Especially in the context of sharing with my wife and wrestling with with my God. Uh, And it would be wrong for me to say that there's not times where you probably struggle as a husband or wife. There's not sometimes you probably struggle as a mom or dad. There's probably times you struggle as a leader just in the church or a leader in the community. Well, I have to do the same thing. I have to wrestle with these things. For me, in my mental process, what I struggle with sometimes is I like to be with people. I like to be going. Uh, I would rather be out and hanging out with people on the go, discipleship, rather than being inside and at my desk. It's just the way that God built me, I believe. Uh, And so I try to use that for His glory and and, uh, ultimately for our good, my good, hopefully as well, is that uh, the way that God wired me and gifted me spiritually, I'm able to use for my church. All right? So sometimes I feel like I would actually rather be in the world pastoring people. Sometimes I would rather be maybe even in the world and pastoring a church like on Sundays and stuff. And people and you know people make the joke and it's okay if you made this joke, but I do want to give you a reality of what we what we do. The joke is like pastors just work on Sundays, right? Here's what I would call that. Preachers. Now remember, who preaches? You preach. I preach. 
The only difference between you and I is you're not an elder and I am. Now, some of you may be training to be elders. That'd be awesome. We have two, at least in our congregation, that we're raising up. Now, that means that there's something I do that we all don't do. There's something that God's called me to that is different, but it's not preaching. So you have to then ask the question, what is the elder role then? Well, an elder preaches, of course, an elder shepherds, of course, and an elder oversees. He does all of these things, but he also does other things that you probably do in the context of the church. The one thing that becomes our responsibility as elders that becomes a weight uh, upon elders is this, is we have been given the authority to teach and preach God's Word in the church. Now, let me, say it, let me say it more clearly, though. We've been given the authority, but you've been given a authority, too. So I try to, I'm trying to explain it like this, is uh, anybody in the church can preach and teach. All of you should. You should preach in the church, outside the church. You should share God's Word constantly, day and night, right? We should never stop sharing God's Word. But there's been given a responsibility to me to particularly oversee this particular local congregation as its elder by ensuring that it's biblical and that it's founded on God's Word, that it leads by God's Word, that it preaches God's Word, that all its ministries are saturated by God's Word, that we're spiritually driven, that the Holy Spirit's in all of our ministries. All these things are the responsibility that God has given me to oversee in the whole church. In the context of your household, though, Jess, you ought to be preaching God's Word to Jen constantly, day and night. Heath to Laura. You always constantly flowing God's Word to your spouse, to your uh, siblings, to your friends, and in the context of your workplace. God's Word should be constantly flowing from your mouth. Likewise, for me, I have to do that. I have the responsibility, the blessing, and the responsibility of doing that for the church. So now that's why we come back to this. Pastors preach on Sundays. That could be true. They do preach in a local church on Sundays. But every day throughout the week, they ought to be leading their family, their, their friends, their church, those who come to them, with God's Word. And, the, and I've, I've been challenged. It's been really healthy to be around Pastor Bill in this context because I was trained by a seminary to uh, engage in theological conversation with you. So what that would look like is you come up to me and you say, well, Pastor Matt, tell me a little bit about, a little bit more about John chapter 4. I want to know about the woman at the well. What does it mean that she'll have eternal life by this? Okay, so I can talk to you about that, right? Now, that's different than you coming to me and saying, hey, Pastor Matt, I'm struggling in my marriage. Now, I could go one of two ways here, though. I've been trained to engage the woman at the well biblically. I can walk you through that. But that's a theological question. Now you give me a life question. Am I going to respond to you with my life experience and wisdom or with God's wisdom and God's word? You see, because I know how to address the theological question with God's word because I obviously wouldn't do it with my own thoughts and words. But I don't know about addressing your life situation with my own thoughts and my own experiences. I want to learn how to do it with God's Word. It's one thing I've been taught by Pastor Bill pretty well is how to biblically counsel. I think I knew a little bit how to do it, but nothing like what he knew. And I'm learning. I'm even learning from uh, biblical lay counselors. I don't know if any of you are in this room right now, but some of our biblical lay counselors are teaching me. And uh, I, I love it. I, I'm growing from it. But here's what, I'm, here's what I'm trying to say, and I hope we all understand. There's a different role between a elder and a, uh, elders and like preaching, an elder and somebody who ministers, and all those different things. An elder has a specific office inside of the church. 
And I think that's very important for how you understand the rest of those whom are in the church, the rest of everybody who's in the church. It's not like I'm dominating over you. I just have a responsibility. The best way I can, I can simplify it is this. Uh, we are Jesus-ruled, pastor, I would say elder. We are elder-led, and then we are uh, deacon-served. If you tack on a last one there, which I really like to do, it's congregational accountability. You hold us accountable. You hold deacons accountable. But the whole structure falls apart when it's not first Jesus ruled. Because what does this passage say? What does it say? I think it's a verse, is it verse 4? Yeah. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd appears. When I got to this church, we, we shifted from lead pastor to senior pastor. We stopped calling me senior pastor and moved to lead pastor. And here's the reason. We are a pastoral team. Uh, elders would probably be more accurate. We're an, let's say we're elders. And I lead out amongst those to oversee the whole direction of the church. While I gift to, because I believe it is part of a gifting, <laughs> I gift to Pastor Bill and I gift to Pastor Glenn the uh, responsibility of focusing in on particular ministry to pastor. I try to stay back and look at the whole vision of the church and do the whole teaching for the church while gifting them the responsibility of, uh, of working in particular ministries. That way we stay focused in on some ministries and don't, aren't all just up at the top level just preaching uh, and then nobody's actually doing any of the hands-on ministries. So, but we're all leading. If you came into a pastor's le- uh, team meeting, uh, elder le- meeting, you would hear me say, hey, talk, talk to me about this. Talk me through this. How do I lead out in this? All right? Here's the reason I tell you this. Uh, has anybody ever woke up in the morning and thought like, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus today, and then by noon you've struggled like multiple times? You know what I'm saying? You're like, all right, I got this today. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to be impatient with my coworker, even though they frustrate me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or I'm not going to get mad at my spouse, or I'm not going to get mad at my kid. All right, all those things on the board. You get to noon and you're like, Lord... This happened. I struggled these times. In that, in that context, you go, God, it's your fault? Or you're like, man, I struggled today. Like, if you struggle today, we can't look back at God and go, it's your fault, I blame you. But God has a structure where we follow after Him and where His Spirit is poured out in our hearts that we might do what He's called us to do. There's a path to which we should follow where God is our chief shepherd and we are following after Him. Just because you fail doesn't mean that what God put in place doesn't work. Just because we struggle to do what God called us to do doesn't mean we shouldn't follow what God has for us. And so I tell you the same thing in Scripture. When God calls us to a specific way to lead the church and to be obedient in the midst of His church, where He has elders who lead out, and, and uh, young men who are trained to be elders, and then the rest of the church is being humble and submit to that leadership when it is good and holy and healthy and keeping them accountable, all of that is how it's supposed to work. But I would be wrong to say that that's not broken. There's many times where it's broken in church. There's many times where I've failed you in church. There's many times where I'm going to fail you in church. There's many times where churches fail. And the thing is, is when we look at all that, we shouldn't go, okay, well, because, it, because one person fails, because this moment when you failed, we should collapse the whole system. Instead, what we should do is we should look at God's Word and ask again, God, what do you want for us today? How can we do what you've called us to do today? 
And that's why it so naturally progresses into this, right? Look at what verse 5 says. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so he naturally shifts into this. If you're going to lead, if you're going to follow, if you're going to be part of God's church, it starts here. Humility. And so it starts with humility because there's going to be three parts to overcoming sin in the midst of suffering. Remember, 1 Peter's been challenging you to do what is good throughout all of it, right? How are we going to do what's good when we're suffering and being persecuted? Here it is. Three parts. First, humble yourself. Second, be ready. And third, resist. All right, so let's go through that process. First, humility. Look at the passage. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so they may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares about you. In that process, what we're doing is we're saying, here you go, God, I can't do this. I don't have it anymore. It's yours. I'm releasing this. As Nick said last week, we're entrusting it over to God. We're giving this over to God to say two things. Whatever's best for you and best for others. Whatever's best for you and best for others. That's humility. God, what is best for you, what is best for others is what I want for my life. It's recognizing that it's not about me. I'm going to push it off to God. What is good for you, I will do that. Humility, what is best for God and what is best for others. Now, I'm telling I'm saying that definition in the context of 1 Peter. But if you wanted to push it a little further, it's also this. Whatever is best in me is for you and for others too. It's not just what is best for God that I could do, but what also is best in me. Because there's people in this room, including myself, who need to wrestle with this idea that we can seek to do things for God without giving God the glory for doing them. Like, God, give me this responsibility role. I need it. I need this leadership. I need this responsibilities. I need these things. And it's really just for your glory. In that vein, that's what he's calling out at the beginning as an elder. Don't become an elder if that's your aspiration. If your aspiration is to be famous rather than Christ, then stop doing what you're doing. Because what you've done is you've said, I want what's best for you, God, but only when it's what's best in me so that I'll get the glory, not you. Paul and Peter engaged in this when he would travel throughout cities and there were people who were doing ministry there, but they were doing it for themselves rather than doing it for the glory of God. And so they would focus in on them and Paul would call them out and say, that's not holy and healthy. So he would challenge them to do different. So it starts with this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You will be humbled or he will humble you. You can either humble yourself by entrusting things over to God or you can wait till God humbles you yourself. But we are going to be humbled when we recognize that we don't have this under control. I don't know why I woke up this morning where my shoulder feels like I got a torn tendon in it. But I think it's because I'm getting older. (laughs) The more you go on in life, I think the more we recognize that there's like, you can shovel something and all of a sudden feel like you tore something. I could have done that when I was, you know, 15 years old or go, yeah, it's probably because I've been fishing. I could have done that when I was 10 years old. I'd have been completely fine. 15 years old, fine. But now I wake up and I'm like, what happened? What did I do? You know, it's because later, the more you go throughout your life, and I know I don't even know the half of it yet, but the more we go out through our life, we recognize how weak and feeble we really are. And we get so humble to the point where it's like, man, I can't even take care of myself anymore. I need somebody else to take care of me. Many of you have taken care of your moms or your grandparents. And it's that point where you realize that, like, I can't even take care of myself. Right now, in this moment, it's good for us to release over to the Lord and say, God, I can't take care of this anymore. I don't have this. I can't. I need you to take over. So it's humility. God, I need you. Second is be sober-minded and be alert. 
Be sober-minded and be alert means this. It means don't do anything. Don't put anything in your body that's going to cause you to do something that you wouldn't have done if you hadn't put it in your body. All right, so practically play that out. Don't do anything, drink anything, eat anything that's going to cause you to sin. If you had not done it, you wouldn't have done it. Right? Here's a practical explanation. Uh, Let's say you, every day, you eat the same thing for lunch. And about 2 or 3 p.m., you get really tired, really impatient, and really angry. All right, so this looks like that huge five guys, burgers and fries meal that you eat. And then at 2 or 3 p.m., you're like, whew, I can't even do work anymore. All right, so what happens? Your, your job struggles, your family struggles, your parenting struggles, your marriage struggles, just because you ate food. Now, I don't want to get too legalistic here, but push it a little bit further. If you consistently do that over time, and your parenting and marriage consistently struggles because of what you've done, then don't you think you probably should stop doing that? All right, so that's what it looks like to be sober-minded and alert, to know what you're doing in the context of when you're doing it and if it will lead to sin in your life. So think about it a different way. Uh, let's say you... Um, oh, man. You got food, you got actions. Oh, uh, there's a ministry. It's a ministry to, uh, let's say, women who uh, get paid for uh, taking their clothes off. Put it that way. If you need to earmuff your kids, that's okay. Uh, They get paid for that. Um, But there's a ministry that goes in and tries to help these women out of that context. All right? And so what they do is they try to provide everything that she would need so that she doesn't feel like she's obligated to continue doing what the man says she must be doing. Another way to do it is to uh, minister to the bodyguards or ministry directly to the men. It's a little bit more difficult, but you can start with the women. Now, if we're doing that ministry, we, which we had in, uh, in Dallas at Five Stone, if we're doing that ministry, when you go, you want to be careful here because you don't necessarily send just men because you're going to work with particularly women who are engaging in that. And so what you try to do is you try to isolate and understand, hey, can you do this? Do you have the strength to be able to go do this, keep your head on a swivel, and make sure that you don't do anything you shouldn't do, right? And then what we do is we work also, you have to work with the women and to say, okay, can you do this? Are you able to do this? Are you strong enough to engage in this kind of ministry without falling into sin, all right? So what you have to do is you have to look at your life and go, am I strong enough to, let's say even being ministry, not talking about food, not talking about drink, even just ministry, Am I able to engage in this ministry, in this context, knowing what it's going to cause out of me? Because Jesus, what did he do? He ate and drank with the gluttons and the drunkards. And, and everybody says that, and they're like, well, so you can go do it. Well, stop there for a second and ask yourself, am I able to do that? Am I strong enough? I challenge young adults to think about this often. Do I have the capacity to do this without causing me to do sin? And if I don't, then I've got to look at that as something that is leading me into sin. So here's what you do. Be alert and be sober-minded means something like this. Don't put anything in your mouth or do anything with your body that's going to lead you to sin when you wouldn't have done it. You wouldn't have sinned if you had not ever partaken that in the first place. So don't eat, don't drink, don't do anything that's going to cause you to sin if you wouldn't have in the first place. That changes things. It doesn't look at Scripture and go, okay, where in Scripture can I find that you shouldn't eat mushrooms? You know? Like, you're not going through, you're like, 
man, should I, am I able to go to my friend's house if they're doing this? Or like, where does it say in Scripture if I should play video games? You're not going through it and doing that. Instead, you're looking at yourself and going, okay, Scripture tells me not to neglect my family. And I'm spending $1,000 a month on golfing. Is that good for my family? And then you have to pull back and go, okay, that's probably not good for my family, right? So now that's not directly, I don't see anywhere in here where it says, like, I can't go down to Westminster National and play some golf. But it does say in Scripture not to neglect your family. So, see, humility, when it says, I I want what's best for God, then puts it back on our plate to go, okay, well, being sober-minded and being ready is what's best for God. So now I have to look at all these different things to prepare myself for what? Resisting resisting Satan, resisting uh, the evil one. Because it says in this passage what? It says, Your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. You see, that's when he wants to find you, is when you're not sober-minded and not ready. When you're not humble enough to say, this is not good for me, and ready enough to say, I see what the, what's happening here. I'm ready for this. I'm prepared for this. I know how the devil's going to attack me, and he's not going to get in the, into, uh, into my life. I'm not going to let him into my mind. I'm not going to let him in my heart. I'm not going to let him in my actions. I'm going to prevent what the devil's trying to do in my life. I think it's important because... For me in my life, I think this is important because I have so many people ask me, like, can I, can I drink? And I'm like, well, okay, let's clarify. Can you get drunk? Or should you get drunk? No, it's not being sober-minded, you're not prepared. All right? And then it's the question of how much can you drink before you get drunk? To that, I've tried to answer this uh, consistently, which is what I've already told you. Don't drink to the point where you sin, that if you hadn't drank, you wouldn't have sinned in that way. And now you can't go justify and being like, well, I would have sinned anyway, so I can get drunk anyways. That's not, all right. Anyways. So I try to help people understand that. Rather than going, all right, one beer is your max. Or one shot's your max. You know what I'm saying? And people, because people ask that. They're all the time like, can I have just one glass of wine? I'm like, that's not the question. The question is, can you have one glass of wine without sinning? Also, the question is, because if we're not, we, get, we can get really hypocritical here. The other question is, can you drink, or sorry, can't, can't drink this. <laughs> can you have a hamburger without sinning? Can you eat, like, I know it's good. Can you have ice cream without sinning? Like, we have to reflect on all these things. We can't just reflect on one thing. Now we start to ask like this, can I have this friendship without sinning? Can I even, y'all, this one might be even harder. Can I have this leadership role without sinning? I, the, the pride, the, 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 the acknowledgement, the, in your relationships, can I, can I have this friendship? Well, what is it going to cause me to do? Is it a, a friendship full of gossip? Is it a friendship that has potential to sexual sin? What are, what are the potentials of this thing that caused me to lead into sin where I shouldn't go? And I, I, should, I, I would never want to be like, hey, this is the pastor that always rips us away from everything we want to do in life because we think we're going to sin at it. Well, that's what I, what I want for you in your life. What do you think I want for you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What else do I want for you in your life? I want you to know that you have this, these four things, which is, this passage is about to tell you. That you can be restored, encouraged, strengthened, and supported in this. 
It starts with humility. It leads to being ready in your mind. And then ultimately it, it winds up in this, in this resisting that ultimately gives us the hope that we might have restoration, encouragement, support, and strengthening so that we can do what we need to do. This is what I almost daily have to wake up to. I need God's encouragement, strength, support to continue to do what He's called me to do. And so, honestly, it's like this. And the band can come forward. I'm going to give you all a couple gospel responses. But to be honest with you, it's, it's, it really is, for me, it's a lot like this. I've got probably a thousand cast in. It's 100 degrees on a, man, sunny day, and you're burning. Your face is already burnt. There's skeeters out there. I won't hit you this time, Dom. And uh, you're so many cast in, you're like, man, maybe that six-pound bass is coming. Maybe that six-pound bass is coming. And what do you do? What do you do, Joe? Wait a little longer. Just a little bit longer. Because maybe that six-pound bass is coming. So what do I do? I just wait a little bit longer. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while longer. And so it's kind of like that. Matt, just a couple more casts, maybe we'll catch a six-pound bass. This morning, I want you to know, and I hope you believe, as you suffer, as you're persecuted, as you're hurting, just a little while longer, He is returning. Just a little while longer. He is returning. Don't lose hope. Be strengthened in Christ's name. Just a little while longer. And so uh, I leave you with this gospel response. Jesus Christ came and did what He said He was going to do. He suffered on earth for you and for me. He endured everything that we should have endured, even to the point of the cross, where He humbled Himself in the mighty hand of God and was raised up. Same thing that's called of us as elders and as leaders inside of the church and as followers of Christ. We are to humble ourselves that He might lift, him up, lift us up in due time. Same thing happened to Christ as He humbled Himself to the point of the cross and was raised up to suffer and be persecuted and hurt for you and for me. And because he did this, we see the perfect picture of what it's like to suffer just a little bit longer. And knowing that one day, just like Christ, we will be raised up into glory and that all, all of what was promised will be bestowed upon us. No more pain, no more suffering, no more persecution. If you're out there this morning and you're weary-eyed, you're tired, feel like you can't go any further, you're not alone. You're not alone in this room. You're not alone on our staff. You're not alone in this church. We're together. I think if I were to take a poll, there's a good majority of us that would say we just need a little bit of strength today. A little bit of encouragement today. Don't lose hope. For your God is with you. And He hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on Him. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We trust you. We believe that you have good for us. We believe that you don't have evil for us. I do believe, Father, that Satan is prowling around trying to devour these individuals to try to destroy their relationships, their marriages, their families, uh, to try to destroy their jobs and their career, to try to destroy them personally. I pray, Father, that you protect them from the evil one by humbling them, by preparing their minds and their hearts, by being ready. 
and helping them to resist the evil one so that they might see his scheme, see how he's planning to attack them, see the little things that are slipping around them in their life. God, we, uh, we all need you. None of us is greater than the other. You created all of us. So, Father, I pray that you use us all for your glory and for our good in whatever way you see fit. We love you in your son's name. Amen.
Amen, church. Remember, you're sending the mist of darkness to light it up. We have, hope you have a great week, and we'll see y'all next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us, and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.